Get ready for an overdose of common sense. This is American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson. Love it or hate it, the 2020 presidential race is on in full force, and we know that the next 18 months or so are going to be anything but boring. And the candidates, they're pretty hard left and even overtly socialist. Are they a real reflection of today's typical Democratic voter, though? In just about uh, 12, 13 minutes or so, Washington Post columnist Henry Olson joins me to assess that entire race. And, you know, politics can get your blood pressure up, but uh, so can all those posts you read on your phone. There have been times over the past uh, several months where I have had to just move that Twitter app off the front of my phone and just say, I'm done. I'm never doing this again. I'm closing it out. I'm cutting off my account. I am done with this social media stuff. And then I go right back to it. Hey, I'm Mike Ferguson. Thanks for being a part of American Viewpoints. Um, it's one thing to say, ah, those darn kids and their social media, uh, it's driving them crazy. It's driving me crazy. But is there actually some science behind that? Uh, Dr. Tim Bono is with Washington University in St. Louis. And uh, Tim, you've You've literally written the book on this, When Likes Aren't Enough. What made you say, I'm going to look into social media and actually see whether it's affecting people's actual happiness? We're not talking about just their mood, but we're talking about their happiness as a human being here, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, This is a topic that I started to investigate when I was a Ph.D. student about 10 years ago, and I was already doing some preliminary research on the predictors of happiness and well-being during the young adult years. Um, But because we had this new platform where people seem to be making connections with one another, I became interested in understanding, well, what impact, if any, is that having on the psychological health and well-being of these students who I was studying? And sure enough, my early research was showing all these correlations such that the more time students were spending on these social media sites, the less happy they were. Tim, I'm in my, my late 40s, and so to me it's pretty easy to go Facebook and Twitter uh, that's not real life. Um, come on, snowflakes, get get back in, in touch here. You know, real life is with real people. But to so many people, what is said on social media is real life. I mean, how do we kind of make people understand that who maybe did not grow up with the technology? Yeah, it certainly poses a challenge because the reality is that for today's young adults, they are using this technology in a way that their parents didn't at that age because the technology simply did not exist. And so this is something that's still relatively new, uh, which means that we don't have as many educational opportunities to let people know the potential impact of this. But as we're getting more and more research, I do think that there are some opportunities for schools to take a, a role in this and also parents to have conversations with young adults and say, okay, before you get a phone or before you um, create that account for Instagram or Facebook, Let's have some conversations about how you expect to use this. What kinds of things do you expect to see? And importantly, how do you expect this technology to affect you? Usually, you don't just give a a young adult a credit card and say, yeah, sure, go ahead and use this however you think you should. Or before they get a car, you don't just say, oh, yep, here's the keys to the car. Go ahead, run free. Usually, there's a conversation that accompanies um, those behaviors or precedes the opportunity for the young adult to be able to do those things. And my hope is that similar conversations will take place when it comes to social media use. 
So what should those conversations look like? I mean, especially if a parent who either didn't grow up with the technology or the technology came as as they were adults later on, we just kind of get afraid of that because the, the young people grow up with it. They understand it. They're efficient at it in ways that we don't understand it. So what should the conversation actually entail? Well, I think that the conversation can start with some open-ended questions about why is it that you want to join social media in the first place? Why do you want to be on Snapchat? Why do you want to have an Instagram account? And then also ask them questions about what their expectations are. And then ultimately, you want to guide that conversation to a place where you're helping the student or the child understand that there are, in fact, potential risks associated with that that might not be immediately evident. And you might ask some questions like, well, what's going to happen if you should log on there and you see a bunch of your classmates at, a, at somebody's house having a party, and it's a party that you weren't invited to, what is that going to be like for you in that moment? And by asking a question along those lines, you're really accomplishing two things. The first thing that you're accomplishing is that you are letting them know that fear of missing out is a real thing that affects a lot of people, and that, and that it, they can expect that eventually there will be something that happens that they were not invited to. So it's sort of normalizing that experience for them. The second thing that you're doing is you're giving them a chance proactively to think about, well, what will I do in that particular moment? How will I feel? And what will be the appropriate response? Um, Because they have a heads up, that can help to soften the blow. I think it's interesting you're, you're bringing up comparison to other people. You're not necessarily just bringing up the the cyberbullying that we hear so much about. So when we're talking about the happiness and how it affects is affected by social media, um, we're really are talking about people to people comparisons, not necessarily just the platform of Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or or whatever the case is um, itself, right? Yeah, that's exactly correct. Because I would say that that really seems to be the common denominator. What's really driving a lot of the distress that, we'll see, that we are seeing among the heaviest social media users is that social media has ultimately become a vehicle for social comparison. And this is something that psychologists have known for a long time, that social comparison is one of the fundamental barriers to a sense of happiness. It's really hard to be happy if we constantly have our head over our shoulder, wondering how do we measure up to those around us. Um, And that's ultimately what social media does. You log on and suddenly you you have access to the highlight reel that everybody else is posting. You know, they're cherry picking just the really awesome things that are happening and not giving attention to the more mundane things or the struggles. And then we scroll through and we come to believe that everyone around us has this perfect life and is doing all these amazing things. And then we compare it to the reality of our own lives, which might not seem as glitzy and glamorous by comparison. And then that drives down our overall sense of well-being. So that's another part of the conversation that can take place with a young adult before they get a social media account, is to help them understand what you're seeing is not real life. People are not posting all of the daily mundane things. They're not as likely to post their struggles. And so um, it's important to discount what you're actually seeing because that's not the the entire story of, of somebody's life. So is the advice just, hey, kids, just get off social media and let's try to talk people away from the platforms? Or is this just a matter of just adjusting to a new reality that wasn't in existence 10, 15, 20 years ago? Well, I don't think that social media is going anywhere. No. Um, And social media can be used for a lot of really wonderful things. It allows people to stay in touch even after they've moved 
far away, or it's, uh, it allows people to reconnect with people who maybe they've lost touch with in their past in ways that we weren't able to before. So, um, I, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. But what I think is important is that we educate people around the correct parameters where you should be using social media. Okay, and last minute or so we have here, uh, Dr. Tim Bono. The book is When Likes Aren't Enough, and I like how you put a lot of humanity into this um, particular set of research so it's consumable by everybody, not just the academia. Yeah, and that was really the goal with this research. So, And I would say that the book is really not about social media per se. The book is to say, you know, it kind of opens up with a, with a vignette around how social media, turns out, is not the end-all, be-all toward our happiness. So the 10 chapters of the book walk through more than 100 studies conducted on young adults that say, so if social media isn't the answer, what are the behaviors that are most effective at increasing happiness? And it's things like gratitude exercise, pro-social behavior, social connection, meditation, the, the behaviors that have the best research to, to say, these are the things we can be doing day in and day out to have real sustainable increases in our overall happiness. And to find the book, you go where? WhenLikesAren'tEnough.com, but you can find it really wherever books are sold. You can find it at Barnes & Noble, on Amazon, or at most local independent bookstores as well. All right, Professor Tim Bono, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Okay, let's head back to uh, politics. Former Vice President Joe Biden jumps into the Democratic race for president, and he immediately becomes the front runner, at least according to all the uh, polls at this point. But let me ask you this. Do polls really matter just yet in this entire process? And what does it all say about the Democratic Party as a whole right now? We're talking Washington, D.C. down to the grassroots. Washington Post columnist Henry Olson joins me in just a few minutes to assess the whole situation right here on American Viewpoints. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that our daughters have what they need to grow and learn. But that isn't the case for nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. that struggle with hunger. Childhood hunger is a heartbreaking reality that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and provides it to families and children in need. You can help kids in need in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo GOAT, G-O-A-T, acronym, stands for Greatest of All Time, as in Spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council.